Hi everyone, and welcome to this conversation with uh, Lame Fair, a uh, distinguished lady I met digitally, I must say, uh, through Bimbo Lakolaole. So thanks to her for the digital link-up. And Lame, it's very great to have you on finally. I know, uh, you know, it's been quite a, a journey to even get to the point of doing the, the interview. But yeah, thanks for making the time. Uh, it's really much appreciated. Thank you very much, Dari, for the invitation, and I'm really pleased to be here. Cool. Now, thanks a lot. So, to kickstart, um, you know, having gone through your profile and and some of the conversations we've even had, you know, you're doing a lot of great work, you know, with your volunteer-led organization under the Lean In umbrella, as well as being a fellow of the Institute of Energy and your award-winning executive as well. Uh, can you tell us about a bit about yourself and your overall career and journey to getting you here? Oh, uh, well, thank you very much for that question. So I am an economist, actually, both by an academic and professional background. I studied a combined degree in economics, statistics and education back home in Nigeria. I then went on to do a master's in energy, environmental management and economics in Italy before starting my career with ENI as a petroleum economist working in Italy and Nigeria. And then I moved to the UK in 2005 and um, UK has been home since then. Um, so my industry background weaves through upstream, midstream oil and gas, oil field services, consulting and renewables where I currently work. Um, my technical verticals anchors on finance, economics, business development and strategy. Um, as you kind of uh, anyone working in the NND industry, I was also quite fortunate to spend a couple of years in Houston working for Baker Hughes before moving back um, finally in 2015 and then started breaking out into the renewable space and then joined Halliburton in 2017 as um, regional head for Treasury, looking after Europe, Eurasia and South Africa and before transitioning into um, SSC in June of 2021 as head of strategy and innovation for the energy customer solutions business. All right, now a very distinguished career. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very encouraging to listen to such a rich journey and, and hopefully, you know, you can leave us with some nuggets here based on, on all this experience. So I guess that leads me to my next question, which is you mentioned, you know, you've been in the industry for quite a while and you've experienced a lot, uh, you know, you've won some awards as well and achievements. You know, tell us about some of these um, achievements and what they mean to you and, you know, in relation especially to the work you currently do. Yeah, so for me, the awards have been uh, genuinely very humbling. You know, they kind of came this year, most of them, and it's been very encouraging. You know, what it tells me is that, you know, dedication, hard work, and the passion for what you do in time does pay off when you keep your head down and focus on getting the job done and learning, you know, the, the trade or the, you know, learning a skill set. And in terms of the awards themselves, so like you rightly said, you know, I was made a fellow of the Energy Institute through the Emeritus uh, route. And this is a very rewarding nod from one of the prestigious energy industry, you know, organizations here in the UK. And then I was nominated or named in the Transition Economist Women of the Energy Transition, the um, industry group category for the work I do with Lenin. And then got the GRIT award for the professional category which was um, given by Allah Energy. And, you know, if you think about the last two years that everyone has had and how tough that journey has been, so it was a very, very much appreciated award. 
you know, on the back of that journey. And then the most recent one was uh, being named in the Power List 2021 Pan-African Female Leaders in Energy. As an African woman in the energy sector, you know, I'm no stranger to being the minority in most rooms and meetings. So this cohort means a lot to me because just having, you know, a group of women in the same network and cohorts, it's uh, really encouraging and inspiring. So, yeah. Yeah, and you know, congratulations for that. And it sounds, um, you know, as as you're saying, you know, it's good to be finally seeing, uh, you know, you know, more representation in some of these spaces that uh, you know traditionally haven't been um, showing such uh, statistics. And, um, and yeah, you know, congrats again. Um, all right, so I guess uh, you know that leads me to the next question um, because you sort of touched on it already. You know, the Lean In umbrella and that organization. You know, what has been the journey of that? How have you, you know, what have you picked up? What is how how has that journey been, um, and how, how has it shaped you in, in, in your progress? So yeah, as you rightly said, you know, I do a lot of work to promote equity, diversity, and inclusion, and I'm really fortunate to be able to do that work under the umbrella of the nonprofit Leaning Org set up by Shelley Sandberg on the back of her book, Lean In. It's based on the simple principle that behind every woman is a circle of women and it seeks to empower women to achieve their ambitions while pushing for parity within the workforces. So I co-chair Leaning Equity and Sustainability with my colleague, Rita Hauskin. In January this year, we teamed up together just as women in the energy sector were being disproportionately impacted by both the global pandemic and the energy crisis that started in 2020. Rita and I took a very straightforward approach, which was we chose to virtually go down to the community level and meet our members where they were emotionally and psychologically, whilst creating a safe space for women and men to A, speak up, B, call out biases, the practice skills closest to their hearts. So we needed to create that psychological safety that was missing in workplaces and communities so that women could explore and navigate these challenges. So the last 12 months since we embarked on this journey, or since we embarked on this collective um, collaborative journey, we've grown our leaning community reach and relevance significantly. This year, we've successfully expanded our global outreach thanks to leveraging technology and international partnerships. Um, so far, we have had over 40 virtual sessions with women across the globe, featuring over 90 speakers and facilitators. Our LinkedIn page, which we only set up this year, currently has nearly 1,400 followers. And um, to uh, wrap up the year, which we were really pleased about, we were finalists at the UK Energy Institute EI 2021 Award for Public Engagement, which is a massive testament to the great work and effort of our members, volunteers and ambassadors. Mm. Ah, very, very, very interesting journey there. And, and you know, I, I know you, you said you've got the new name for the organization coming through and how, how has that evolved in, you know, coming into 2022? You know, what does that mean for the, for the horizon, uh, the upcoming horizon for Lean and the new name? Yeah. So this year we started off under the umbrella of Lean Energy, focusing on women in energy, and that's still the, um, the, the target audience. But what became clear through the journey of 2021 was that, you know, the lived experiences, the privileges and advantages available to women or not available to women differs from region to region. And we found that the women in our circle were great advocates of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals 
and they had a huge passion for sustainability and a just and fair energy transition. And as a group, we firmly believe that, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion is an essential pillar for the energy transition and the broader climate debate. So as pa apart from being that pillar, it also aids development of policies and DNI also increases the success rate of policy implementation, right? So, I mean, think about it. Women play an intrinsic role in the leadership of their families and communities, and yet they're missing from the decision-making tables around the world. And women make up 50% of the world population. So it just doesn't uh, ring through that we will not have them at the decision table you know so we came together as a circle to stand on those united nations uh, sustainable development goals especially number five which is to achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls number seven to ensure access to affordable reliable sustainable and modern energy for all and of course number 13 which is to take urgent action to combat climate change and its impact and you know, the world just gathered in Glasgow for COP26. So going into 2022, we made the conscious choice to refocus our goals, mission and vision on those core values and also to really lean into the leaning org principle of empowering. So the empowerment piece is really, really important. So we need to empower women to find their leadership voice. We need to advocate for sustainable and just transition while we're still pushing and trying to improve gender parity in the workplace. So, but the power within is where we're leveraging the strength of women so that they can navigate the challenges nevertheless. So when we look at, you know, the definitions from uh, an academic perspective, if we may, you know, equity refers to fairness and equality in outcomes, not just in the support and opportunities, which means that everyone is provided with what they need to succeed. Mm -hmm. Sustainability, on the other hand, is about meeting the needs of the present generation without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. So for us, it was kind of like a light bulb moment. And then we decided to um, reframe and, re, you know, reframe our purpose and mission. And also by that doing also change our name to really anchor on the things that we believe in and the women that we support. So we became uh, leaning equity and sustainability. And upon those pillars, we will drive our outreach and content for 2022. Oh, great stuff, great stuff. I think, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed listening to, you know, that, you know, that evolution and, and the, the plans that you take forward with it. Now, you, you know, you're touching on even things like all the, you know the intersectionality of all these uh, yeah. challenges so yeah so it's it's important it's important and it's it's great that it's it's you know it's discussed now you know before you know you probably didn't even have it discussed at all and i think you know you touched on something that's been very topical of late um around things like you know just transition and what that means for for what's happening um you know, globally, especially in 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 in, in economies that are coming up uh, around, you know, a just transition of energy, and you know, this conveniently takes us to actually uh, my next question around, you know, Africa Oil Week, which you attended. I think it was, I'm not 100 percent sure. It might have been a month or so ago. A month ago, um, exactly a month ago. Uh, perfect. Yes, uh, and you know, you know, take us through what you 
what you feel were your biggest takeaways from the Africa Oil Week, having been there, you know, you know, as if you're sort of reporting back to, you know, most of us that wouldn't have attended or might have not even known that there's such a thing. Um, you know, what were your big takeaways from that event? Uh, yeah, over to you. Um, so the biggest takeaway, and you know, is that we would all like to breathe fresh air and clean air, but nobody wants to do it in the dark, right? So when you think about energy transition and energy poverty, we still have 800 million people who are not going to have access to affordable, reliable and clean energy by 2030. Of that 800 million, 600 million alone are on the African continent. And so you have to ask the question, you know, as the world gathered in Glasgow for COP26 and climate action in November, you know, where the voices of the people who are going to be impacted by the decisions being made by the Global North to ensure that the unintended consequences to Global South are avoided or at least minimized, where they around the table, where their voice is being heard, right? You know, like I previously said, D&I is an essential pillar for the energy transition and the climate change debate and how we're going to achieve that collectively as a globe, not as individual countries, right? So, you know, without putting these voices at the forefront of the discussions and the decisions to be made, we really stand a real danger that the solutions that have been devised at the global level will fail to consider the practical realities of groups such as women, children and minority and ethnic groups whose voices sadly were not represented in Glasgow in November, right? So when you think about the African continent, for example, you think about Madagascar. Madagascar is a country that has, what well, you know, contributed 0.01% of carbon dioxide generated from 1933 to 2019, but yet it's the first country that is suffering from severe drought and famine due to climate change. And so I really hope in Glasgow because, um, you know, it will be a travesty if we make those decisions at that level and then the the people who will really suffer the unintended consequences will be women and children and parts of the world that has not contributed to climate change right so for my perspective and another reason why we really had to think carefully about who we want to become in 2022 was even as we journey into renewables as part of the climate change solutions we have to think about the earth minerals, right? That are going to be part of that process. And would they be mined ethically and sustainably? Because if it's not, then we're just solving one problem and creating another problem, right? So I really want to leave you and the audience with an open invitation to join this movement because we have to have all these voices at the table. And when we talk about diversity, we're talking about diversity of thought. Of course, we sit in the gender box, but it's about having diversity of thought, whether it's culturally, religious, but having people from different parts of the world to the discourse and contributing to finding the solutions that will be sustainable for generations to come, right? Because for me, the way we see it within our community is that there is a moral, ethical, and economic imperative to accelerate this discourse. And that's why, you know, we were very privileged to have been invited to collaborate with AOW and, you know, bring the DNI conversation to a global stage. We were also quite fortunate to collaborate with the Energy Council here in London to host the DNI uh, brunch briefing. And so we're hoping that in the new year, we will have 
more opportunities to collaborate with established event organizers to ensure that this conversation is no longer just a plug-in or an add-on, but it is front and center of the conference to ensure that the decision makers who are at the conference, you know, participate in the discourse, they have, you know, call to actions, and then they take that back to their countries and um, companies because there is a sense of urgency from where we are sitting at the moment. No, I think that's exactly what we've been, you know, what we've been hearing around um, in terms of, you know, just being given the, the, the platform to, to engage, right? Just being given the, the opportunity to, to hear multiplicity of stories. Um, uh, and I think that's what's great about the sort of phase we're in today where you know people can can now convene and you know things like the just transition that you're mentioning um an inclusive transition that you're also mentioning um uh you know it's part of the table of discussion it's not an afterthought um to how solutions are, are made up these days so i think that's you know that's a big that's a big plus of of what we've been seeing and in terms of at AOW itself, do you feel like that voice um, was heard? That that the you know this drive towards um, you know examples like Madagascar that you give, uh, do you feel like that those messages are beginning to land and gain traction? I think you know, which was quite um, interesting. While we were doing AOW, Glasgow was also happening. So the continent sees the sense of urgency for sure. I mean, all the leaders at the conference on different panels touch upon the urgency and the need to have a fair and just transition. You can't turn off one tap and expect to turn on the others because you've got to make the investment, you've got to carry the uh, the structural impact along because if you also think about renewables, which is great, but from the African continent perspective, it means that you've got to give up agricultural land, you know, for some of those solar panels and uh, onshore wind uh, turbines to be built. And so, what is the unintended impact on agriculture, on clean cooking, on clean water, on access to you know basic needs of life? And so we have to really think about that from that perspective. But it is incumbent on the African leaders, to be honest, that they need to look critically at their people, their needs, and make sure that they are also solving their problems locally. Because sometimes you know necessity is the mother of invention and you can find local solutions to local problems. It's not every solution that needs to be imported or, you know, parachuted in. You know, we can cultivate mm. indigenous, you know, startups and SMEs that will start to provide some of those modular solutions because it's going to be too expensive to put the whole continent on the grid now because the investment hasn't been made. And so the other big question around AOW and even the Energy Council Conference was really, you know, the financing of, energy transition, who's going to pay for it, right? Who's going to pay for it? And that's one of the questions that is still left unanswered. But I think why that is being debated, we can look at some small scale and modular solutions in country on the continent that can start to really solve some of the local problems, you know, and start to implement those low, um, smaller scale solutions while we figure out the big stuff, because those things will take time. Right. Glasgow is going to, you know, there's going to be COP27 and we'll come back in a year in decisions at that point, or at least through the course of the next 12 months. But in the meantime, you know, we shouldn't just sit on our hands and wait. We can actually start mm. looking at solutions that are fit for purpose for our people, for our communities, and not really thinking about doing one size fits all or copy and paste. 
because it won't work right so that's really a big takeaway yeah no and and i think you know the takeaway you've provided now is a takeaway that um you know you hear from many platforms these days uh in terms of that lack of you know homogeneity that sometimes is assumed to come with being in africa right um where it's maybe assumed that you know a solution that works uh, in one part of the continent works in another part of the continent um, and yet maybe it's a whole different landscape there so you need to develop a, a localized solution and maybe you know there's the benefit that we're at a moment where technology has allowed um, solutions that are modular which maybe it never did before you know before the solution was there to facilitate something you know else whether it was some kind of you know mining or whether it was some kind of other trade that was made along that route and then development occurred along that route whereas now you have to kind of reshape you know the landscape um, which is challenging i suppose because you know you have to change things and reshape and re and come up with localized solutions but um it's good to know that you know it it, it is part of the discussions that you were hearing at AOW and even just the fact that you know we are at a technological point where you know some of these things are, are possible even yeah all right now thanks um so yeah so i think uh, you know having heard all this background and 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 even some feedback of of some recent uh, meetings you had you know i would like to maybe cast a, a final question more leaning towards you know careers and and how you know what advice you would like to give um you know towards people taking their first career step journey into the energy space you know where you know i've said in in previous conversations that it is quite a multifaceted space right there's economics there's politics there's engineering there's science there's finance there's everything happening in the space uh, you know social cultural this you know discussion climate change is like a, a you know I, i don't know if we can say there's kind of change debate if i can put it that way so you know that all these factors which means that you know the the situation needs as many minds and as many uh, uh interactors as possible so that you know we get to a best place solution so uh what's what you know what what would you give in terms of career advice um for 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 someone trying to take their first steps into the energy journey i think you know like i always say you know career is a journey right it's not a straight line sometimes and you have to build your career through you know the years and so at the moment the energy industry is at an inflection point globally and it is essential that anyone coming into the sector or any sector for that matter has a well-rounded career toolkit to enable them navigate the changes and the shifts in in the sectors i mean you know the kind of change that we've had you know the technological transformation that's happened in the last 18 20 months because of the pandemic where you know would have taken some companies 5 10 years IT plan to implement so that speed of change is it's it's here to stay i believe and so it's imperative that we all work on self development if we work on our soft skills and focus on you know that's really enhancing our toolkit making sure that we are you know robust and future proof especially now that we are not traveling and commuting as much you know using some of that well free time or extra time on your hands to do a bit more self development and learning you know broadening out your perspective and scope 
I would say, you know, identify your gaps and make sure that you're filling them along the way, you know, put yourself forward for stretch assignments, get operational and technical experiences as early as possible, where possible, get a PNL role, you know, all of these things set you up for the future of leadership. And then I think, you know, in terms of my final message, which is what I always share with my mentees and coaches is that, you know, when for anyone starting any career, you know, you need to know your trade understand the rule of the game and what i mean by that is you know be dependable get a mentor get a sponsor you know they're not the same thing and then most importantly always pay it forward you know so when you as they say when you go up the elevator send it back down and uh, make sure that others have a chance to um to, uh, to achieve their own uh, in the words of our leaning balance you know empower people to achieve their ambitions that's really what we're about it's about everyone on their journey but achieving the things they want to achieve on that journey in their own way, in their own space, as long as they have the right tools and opportunities being open to them, then they stand a better chance of succeeding in the things that they choose rather than trying to fit into a mold or rather mm. than you know, trying to achieve other people's version of what they think you know, success should look, look like for you. And so just mm. being in the driver's seat of your career and having those conversations early and often to make sure that every you know step of the way you're having the right toolkit the right people in your corner the right you know mentor coach training whatever you need to have that robust future proof um, toolkit you know the future of work is changing and you know if you look at the world economic forum uh, report from back end of last year you know it lists out the top 15 skills that will be needed by 2025 and so having a look at materials like that so that you see what's coming around the corner. It's really important because, you know, like now everyone's working remotely. So all that um, osmosis learning that we would have gotten, especially for those just starting is missing, right? You know, so the learning you picked up, you pick up by just hearing conversation, walking side by side alongside, you know, people with more experience. Some of that is being lost. So you have to now be very deliberate and intentional in how you a train yourself and b also get access to those experiences within your organization to make sure that you're not losing out on knowledge and uh, you're also putting yourself you know front and center of opportunities as they come around oh, great 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 advice um i, I really enjoyed um, you know hearing that I even, I've actually got a, a sort of a, a sub question to that, um, you know, which which will round us up, which is that, um, you know, in your own personal space uh, and in your own journey, uh, which, what soft skill do you feel like you yourself have, have had to rely a lot on uh, during that journey? Uh, if you've got any uh, that you feel are worth sharing. I think for me, one of the things that I have had to work on and develop more of <laughs> because of the work I do with Linane is really, you know, things like this, you know, doing a podcast and doing an interview, being a kid is something that was not relevant in my previous roles and jobs. And it's still not relevant in my day job, right? Because, you know, you make a presentation. Yes, but it's a small group, but speaking at conferences and doing all of those um, external facing activities mm. is something that, you know, we all are learning and doing that also remotely as well, right? It's one thing to speak to a room full of people. It's another thing to have an event online. 
And so I'm sharpening up my own technical and digital skills around managing online events and uh, using breakout rooms and muting all and all of these things in between that, you know, would not have been relevant for anyone's day job in, you know, prior to uh, the pandemic, but we are all leveraging technology. You know, like I said, you know, Rita and I have really leveraged technology to make sure that we reach women who normally would not have had access because before, you know, communities like this and meetings like this would have been in person, you know, so we meet in London or we meet in Paris or in Nairobi or somewhere. So only people local to the event could attend, but, you know, with technology now, we're having women logging in from the US, from Latin America, Africa, Europe, and, you know, you may meet with not so much Australia because of the time zone, but, you know, if we have a, a breakfast meeting, we're able to also, you know, accommodate that time zone. So we try to also, you know, be cognizant of time zone, which is where that regional knowledge and uh, localization really comes to play because when you realize that, you know, the whole world is much bigger than your small circle or your small space. And, you know, if you do it in the morning, it gives access to a certain group of people versus if you do it in the afternoon or in the evening. And so we move our events around to make sure that we're creating that inclusive environment to ensure that more women have access to our community, have access to our content and events and being able to manage that. So that is something that, you know, would not have been at the front of my uh, planning of anything is like, okay, what time zone do I want to put it in? So that, you know, so those are kind of soft skills that you start to pick up and being even when you're setting up a meeting now, you have to be clear which time zone, you know, you're saying so that people can put the meeting at the right time because we're all now, you know, interacting on that global level. So those skills are not being taught at any organization. So one of the things we also do is make sure that we have a lot of soft skill content that people can come and practice and learn in a very, you know, safe environment and um, low impact, right? So it gives you mm. that psychological safety that we talked about before is really key to the, everything that we do is to ensure that, you know, people feel safe. Because when you feel safe is when you can really own into yourself and you can learn more because all the um, the barriers are down and the defensive mechanism, everything is down and you're really open to the knowledge and the, uh, mm. the sharing and the learning that comes from that interaction. And also what we found is that it actually also allows you to build really deep, meaningful relationship with the women that mm. you're living in the circle. And that's really important as well, because as everyone is remote and feeling isolated, it's nice to have uh, that support network and a handrail to hold on to as we navigate, you know, these challenges of uh, the 21st century. Great, great stuff, great stuff. Thanks a lot, Lamina. I really appreciate that. And I think um, what we'll also do is we'll, as usual, we'll attach, um, you know, links to your organization and even some of the the studies you've referenced in um, World Economic Forum stuff um, with the with the interview, just so that you know people can 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 make use of um, you know these resources and even potentially reach out to you to hear more about being um, in. Yeah, no, I mean I'm leaving you and the audience with a really open invitation to join the movement because I think you know as we say, if you want to go far, you go alone, but if you want to go further, you go together. So we all need everyone. On with a sense of urgency and ensuring that we leave no woman behind. Great. 
Thanks a lot, Lame. And hopefully, you know, we have another catch-up conversation. Uh, we either with you or with um, you know other people of the organization. But yeah, open invitation uh, this way as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tara. Really appreciate your time and thank you for the invite. And uh, looking forward to uh, working and collaborating with you as we go on this journey together. Great. Thanks. All right. Cheers, Lame. Take care. Have a good evening.